Talent Economy is a publication of Human Capital Media. For more coverage, visit talenteconomy.io. Also, subscribe to Talent 10X on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or TuneIn. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Talent 10X. I'm your host, Lauren Dixon, Senior Editor over at Talent Economy. Joining me is Dr. Donna Hicks. She is an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. She's also an author. Most recently, she is releasing Leading with Dignity, How to Create a Culture that Brings Out the Best in People. The book is coming out August 21st. Thank you so much for joining me, Donna. No, you're welcome. So to start out, we'll just jump right into it. Let's talk a bit about your background and what led you to write this book. What sparked your interest in international affairs and conflict? And how did that interest tie into business leadership? Well, it's a strange story, really. Um, I never imagined, Lauren, that I would be writing a book about business leadership. But it's very interesting how these twists and turns in one's life, you know, take you to places that you never even imagined you'd be. But what happened was, I I don't know what sparked my interest in international conflict. I can tell you that I've just always been interested in international affairs. But as far as the conflict part goes, I was interested not so much in conflict per se, but the psychological aspects of conflict that when I was in graduate school a couple of decades ago, never even was on the radar screen. So I, I was just profoundly interested in, you know, why, what psychologically pushes people to want to actually annihilate someone else or why, what is it about conflict, the psychological dimension, the human dimension of conflict that really brings out the worst in us? And so I, my PhD was a combination of um, international affairs and psychology, and I went to Harvard, did a couple of years postdoc with a guy, an amazing uh, professor. He was the only guy at the time who was looking at the psychological dimension of international conflict. I, I ended up doing dialogues for parties in conflict with this with Professor Kelman. And we worked on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I started my own program in Sri Lanka. Then I moved on to South America, to Colombia, and then on and on. You know, over the years, I, I worked on a lot of the world's intractable conflicts. And what I would notice in every dialogue or every negotiation that we set up for parties was that there was this, you know, you can imagine profoundly emotional aspect of the conflict that they were never really focused on in the negotiations. They always wanted to start looking at the political issues. And, you know, once we figure out the political divide, we'll be able to sign on to an agreement. Well, anyway, I wasn't convinced. And because everywhere I went, whether it was Asia, Africa, North America, South America, doing these negotiations with parties, there was this profound emotional dimension. And as I said, no one was talking about it. And I thought, okay, we've got to address this. And to make a very long story short, I realized that, first of all, people don't want to talk about their emotional reactions to things. And I realized I had to come up with a better name, with a better word to describe this. And one day it just dawned on me you know, actually it was more than that. It hit me like a bolt of lightning 
that what's going on here when these people get so emotionally entangled is that their 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 dignity is being is being violated and that's why they're having such a big reaction their people are treating each other as if they don't matter as if they weren't valuable human beings mm -hmm. and so one thing led to the next i decided i had to write about this i wrote my first book which is called dignity is the central role in resolving conflict and I thought it was going to be helpful to my international conflict community, but it turns out when it was published, it struck a nerve in the corporate world. I got requests to go into, into the corporate environment, into healthcare, into education, faith communities. And what I realized was that what I had uncovered here was a missing dimension in not only political conflict, but conflicts that all of us get into, you know, with our spouses, kids, with our employees with our you know co-workers and and so dignity became the word that people realized was at stake when they were experiencing these interpersonal conflicts with people and so what that you know as i said that took me into the corporate world and it struck such a nerve that i mean i ended up spending you know several years consulting in the corporate environment where people said, yeah, this is what's happening here. We've got dysfunctional environments. And largely, it's because people's dignity is being violated and they don't have any way to discuss it, to bring it up. And what I ended up realizing after about the fifth year doing these consultations was that if the leadership wasn't on board in understanding how important it is to people to be treated as if they mattered, how important it is to be treated as if they are something of value. And if people, employees in an environment feel that their leadership is not honoring their dignity and, you know, violating them, then all kinds of dysfunctional dynamics get created in the workplace. So that's when I realized I have to, I really have to write another book about how important dignity is to people in the workplace and how leadership has to embrace this. Leadership has to understand. You know, I say, if we're going to lead people, we'd better understand them. Mm -hmm. And dignity, dignity is at the core of what people desire. I mean, we all yearn to be treated with dignity. And in fact, I say it's our highest common denominator. And yet we know so little about it. So that's the journey. Yes, we definitely all want to be treated with dignity and feel understood and that leadership values us. So those are excellent points. So tell me about some of your observations of how people react when they don't feel treated properly and how that impacts their work. When I first went in um, to the corporate environment and I started interviewing people who were experiencing conflicts with some coworkers, conflicts with their, with their managers, with their supervisors, with their direct reports, what I did was I introduced something that I developed called the 10 Elements of Dignity. And it basically it's 10 ways, the ways people feel they want their dignity honored. So for example, everybody wants their identity accepted. You know, no matter their race, their religion, their they don't want to be discriminated against because of their identity. They want recognition for their unique contributions to the workplace. They want acknowledgement when something bad happens. They want to be able to get that acknowledgement that, you know, it's not right what just happened to you, whatever the dignity violation was. They want to be treated fairly. They want independence. They don't like to be micromanaged. They want to feel safe and secure in their in their work environment. 
They want to be given the benefit of the doubt. They want to be understood. You just made that point. And finally, when something bad happens to them, they also want the person who violated them to say they were sorry and take responsibility. So I would go in and I would conduct interviews with people and say, okay, here are the 10 elements of dignity. Tell me what, you know, what's going on here in your work environment. Why do you think you've gotten into conflicts with people or what's going on here? And I'll tell you what, Lauren, this surprised me that 80% of the respondents that I interviewed said that the one element of dignity that they felt was being violated the most was the element of safety. Mm. Now, let me explain that because it's not, they didn't feel unsafe physically, like somebody was going to harm them physically. But what they explained to me was that they didn't feel safe to speak up when something bad happened. So, for example, let's say your boss violates your dignity and people just sit there and they basically take it. One woman said to me, Donna, it would be career suicide if I spoke up to my boss when, when he or she violated my dignity. So I, I, people just simply didn't feel safe going up and you know, having a, a confrontation, maybe that word is too strong, but having a discussion um, with the person who embarrassed them or humiliated them or treated them unfairly, whatever. They'd rather just sit there and take it. And, you know, one, one person once said to me, well, it's part of my job description to just suck up these dignity violations. So I don't know about you, but that was that was surprising. Um, I, I expected that they would say, oh, something about I was discriminated against because I was a woman or, you know, of a particular race or religion or something, or that I was treated unfairly. But this was this was a real eye opener for me. And it led me to realize how important it was for people to develop the skills in the workplace to be able to stand up, you know, to defend your dignity when it's been violated. So that was that was surprising. And how does it how did it impact their work? Well, you know, people ended up feeling like they dreaded going into work. They felt like, you know, it was just like I said, the guy said, well, it's part of my job description to to just endure these dignity violations. It also made people feel very resentful. The trust, and here's the thing about safety, the key element that breaks down when people don't feel safe is trust. Because they don't trust that they're not going to be injured again, you know, that they won't be injured again. They feel like, boy, you know, I've got to watch out for this boss or for this supervisor or whatever, because I, I, I have to be on guard now. I can't, you know, feel open and be my authentic self. I have to watch out for myself. Mm -hmm. And that is such a drain on people's energy. And so, you know, what it takes to, to protect oneself from those you know, the possibility of being traumatized again or having the dignity violated again, it's, it's, a, it's a drain. It's an absolute drain on people's energy. Yes, a lot of the topics that we write about over at Talent Economy include things like diversity and inclusion. So having your identity accepted, like you said, also employee recognition and acknowledging people and allowing them to, to be independent and autonomous at work. But something that we don't write so much about in the HR space is safety. And yes, of course, that's essential to anything, uh, to any sort of interaction in, in the workplace and in the world in general is 
feeling safe. You aren't going to bring your full self to work if you don't feel safe doing so. Well, that's Um, the key. That's it right there, Lauren. You're not going to bring your full self to work because you're preoccupied with mm -hmm. preparing for the next assault. Definitely. So what can business leaders do to lead with dignity? What rules should they be living by? So first of all, let me, let me be really clear about this point uh, that I'm about to make, and that is all of the people with whom I've worked, especially people in the leadership teams, are really good, decent people. I'm not trying to, you know, shed a light on people and make them feel, you know, and humiliate them or shame them. But I'll tell you what the real problem is. The real problem is the, the massive ignorance that most people have around this topic of dignity. Now, it's not anything that we learn in schools. I mean, you wouldn't believe. I, I, it took me seven years to write my, my first book because I had to develop this concept of dignity. Even in the academic literature, there wasn't anything written about dignity and how we can use it practically and how we can define it or how we can actually understand what it is when we have our dignity violated. You know, I came up with those 10 elements of dignity by interviewing people all over the world and asking them questions, you know, how do you want to be treated? So again, it's a, if there's a collective ignorance around all of these very delicate human issues, because, you know, dignity is at the core of our shared humanity. As I said earlier, we all want to be treated with dignity. And yet, I mean, this is the paradox that that it is not being taught anywhere. So the very first thing I do when I when I go into um, an organization is to be sure that everyone is on board and has has what I call a dignity 101 seminar. I share all of my understanding. I share all of my research. I share all of my, you know, the insights that I've gained from studying this with people so that they are, uh, have what I call dignity consciousness. They are aware of how to honor dignity. They're aware of how to avoid violating our own dignity. I've got 10 temptations to violate dignity that, I've, that I uncovered with a lot of research in evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology. So I just, I just give the, the leadership team this seminar, and sometimes it takes several sessions because this is something that I teach in a, you know, in a course. So there's a lot of information and people are just astounded at my gosh, they say to me, I can't believe it. We've never learned this before. And, you know, relationships are so fundamental. Good, healthy relationships are so fundamental to our work environment and not to mention uh, just our interpersonal relationships in general. And so this information that I share with people being the first step is giving them the knowledge that they need to navigate all of the human struggles that we're facing emotionally with our coworkers, with our families, with everybody on a daily basis. And it's basically, you know, those 10 elements of dignity that I just shared with you, Lauren, I think of them as guidelines for good relationships. If you want to have a really good relationship, you know, try honoring those 10 elements of dignity. And yet at the same time, All it takes is a violation of one of those elements and it breaks the relationship down. So all of this information that I have done years and years and years of research on uncovering and understanding is the first thing that I do. So so leaders really need to know, have a knowledge base. 
But then they also need to be able to apply it. You know, they need to actually walk the talk. I've done several interventions with people who say, oh, yeah, this is really wonderful. I, I like this. Yeah, this is good. But then, you know, 10 minutes later, they go into a staff meeting and end up violating the dignity of one of their coworkers or their <laughs> employees. So, but, and this takes practice. It's not an overnight skill that people develop. You really have to practice it and it, and it becomes a, a way of life eventually, you know, it affects everything and every interaction you have. So first of all, educating oneself as a leader about what it really looks like and how to honor dignity, how to avoid violating it and how to, how to actually take responsibility when you do violate somebody's dignity. And that, that's kind of a counterintuitive skill because most people don't like to take responsibility, even if they know that they've done something wrong. We have all these self-preservation instincts that pre prevent us from wanting to actually own up to our mistakes. And mm -hmm. so learning how to be vulnerable as a leader and accepting responsibility for the harm that you create and you cause people is just a, a fundamental skill. Yes, I feel like self-awareness is something that a lot of us struggle with is how, how we come across to others. And then whenever we do recognize that we did something wrong, it is sometimes really hard to apologize for that and to build that relationship back up. But I like the two points that you brought up, that leaders need a knowledge base and they need to apply what they learn. It's pretty basic, exactly. but it's hard to do. Yes, it is. And I think the other thing that we have to be all of us aware of is just like you said, this, this being conscious of the effect that we have on people, you know, that self-awareness and understanding what are the circumstances? What does it look like when I, you know, lose it? Let's say you just, you get very upset and you might say things to people that you would never say under normal conditions because you're so emotionally heated up, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 what I mean, one of the things that I explore with what I call the dignity model, this is what I, I, I name the educational piece, the dignity model. And one of the things that I tell people is that, look, this is really hard because what's happening is, you know, you're up against some pretty strong self-preservation instincts when we lash out at somebody or you know, when we behave in a way that we wouldn't normally. And nine times out of 10, the person who lashes out also feels threatened in some way. Mm -hmm. And we have these instant reactions when we were under circumstances of threat. It's part of our biology, what it means to be human, which is the self-preservation instincts, which evolved in us for forever. You know, my favorite uh, evolutionary biologist, E.O. Wilson says that, look, you know, if you think that your internal conflicts are something unique to you that you're crazy because all of us struggle with these fighting these impulses to protect ourselves when something bad happens when we're feeling threatened but the problem with these self-preservation instincts is that they they don't serve us well in the 21st century they get us into big trouble and you know we lash back or we fail to take responsibility or one of the big ways in which we are wired for self-preservation is that we will try to save face instead of owning up to our our bad behavior or owning up to our mistakes and we resist we resist feedback and so we're fighting all of these biological forces that are really designed you know evolutionarily speaking 
they were designed for our self-protection, but boy, in the 21st century, us, us humans, we humans, it get, they get us into trouble more than they actually protect us. So we're fighting this and it's part of our shared human struggle and we need a big dose of compassion not only for ourselves, but we, you know, when we see somebody else losing it, we have to say, oh my gosh, that could be me. I could have, I could have reacted that way too. Instead, we tend to get really judgmental and start gossiping about the person and all that. So there is so much to learn, Lauren, and uh, it, it has been inevitable that when I present this stuff to the people, they are just absolutely shocked that this was the first time they're adults and they've never really learned this stuff yet. You know, and they keep saying to me, we need to teach our kids this. We're, we're starting, you know, we're getting there. We are getting mm-hmm. there. Yes. I think it's interesting how you brought up biology that we, uh, back in the day, we needed a fight or flight response just to survive. But now we've evolved to the point where we have to fight our fight or flight response. That's it. That's exactly it. What we're fighting is our own internal responses. Yeah, we're like, and that's why E.O. Wilson said, if you think that your internal conflict, your internal struggles is something unique to you, you know, you're wrong about that. All of us share this. Definitely. So that's all the questions that I have, but do you have any parting advice for business leaders who are hoping to improve their ability to manage talent? Well, you know, it's so interesting. I, I just had a conference call uh, two days ago with a organization, a company that I'm going to be doing some work with. And what they told me was that this is a very competitive environment now. And their company, they felt that their company was really good at the technical aspects of what they produce because they produce a product. And they said, we're really, we really are proud of our product. It's, we're the best in the business. We've got a great reputation for what we sell. But what we realize is that in this competitive environment, if we want to attract the most talented and the most creative people, that we have to do better than just having a good technical product. We have to be a company that understands that we've got to treat our people well inside the company if our customers are going to be treated well. Because there's nothing like a disgruntled internal environment where people are feeling miserable and resentful and then they turn around and go through their, you know, treat their customers in a not so dignified way too. So they realize in order to attract talent, we have to show them that we, that we care about this. We care about the way we treat people. We care. And this is why they were hiring me because they just wanted to polish up what this meant for them and how to deliver this. And, and I think I, I can tell you that I have worked with many different companies, both in the business field and also in healthcare and in education, where they're realizing that the technical knowledge that it takes to create a business and be successful is you know critically important but knowing this human dimension knowing how to treat people knowing how to create a culture that brings out the best in people instead of a culture that is so toxic that people just dread coming into work that once the people who are you know really the stars and the talent understand we've got great ratings this company you know we've got really good internal work uh, environment and our culture is strong 
And see, here's the thing. I, in, in the second book of mine, I explored a lot of the literature in business management. And what, they, what a lot of people are writing about now is that they have taken on this notion of dignity and the importance of treating their, their people with dignity. And they've shown that when that internal culture is one where people feel treated well, loyalty increases, discretionary energy increases, people feel more engaged, they're much more willing to go, you know, the extra mile to do whatever they have to do. And finally, the, the other reality is that when people are happy in that work environment, they produce more and actually the, the profits increase. So, I mean, this is, this is the most cost-effective way of doing business as far as I'm concerned. Because learning this other, other half of the equation, you know, the first half is you've got to have the technical understanding which is what you learn in, right? You learn, you get your MBA and you learn how to develop a good business plan and you know, visioning your approach that you're taking to your company. All that is really important. But if you don't know how to treat your people, you're not going to attract the best. And it's as simple as that. Again, the most cost-effective way of, of doing business. Because it's not just your employees, because when your employees feel good, as I said, the customers are going to be treated better. And all the way down the supply chain, also, Lauren, when you treat people well down the, your supply chain, they also are more loyal to you. So it's not just the employees. It's everyone that you come in contact with. And the research is conclusive now that when you have this dignity consciousness, when human dignity is at the core of your business paradigm, then you're going to flourish and the people are going to flourish, the company flourishes. It's a way of creating a sense of well-being and giving people that you know, really deep sense of they're doing something really important, that their work is meaningful and that they're really happy to be a part of an organization where people matter. Definitely. There's a million things that I want to talk to you about, but unfortunately we're out of time. But thank you so much for your time, Donna. Thank you for sharing all of these amazing insights about dignity and your advice for business leaders. But that's all that we have. Thank you so much for tuning in, listeners. Check back next week for more content and another episode of Talent 10X. Bye.